namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa aparutade sangamatassa tawara So this afternoon is opportunity to reflect and I'd like to reflect on how words affect us because we're, we have language and we, we're talking creatures who affect each other through the language we use, through the words, through the emotion we say, words. <clears throat> and so words are very much a part of our life. We, we define ourselves with words, like Bhikkhu, Sila Dara, these are just words, empty words that define uh, ourselves in a, in a group. Or an American, or British, or Thai, these words define what we think we are, we believe we are. So then the words, powerful words like communist, socialist, democracy, these are used on political programs to, to either praise or curse somebody. So when we have the word Dhamma, What exactly, how does that affect you when you take refuge in Dhamma? And of course it's a traditional word in the Theravada tradition, Theravada Buddhist tradition, and it, so it's a Pali word, completely foreign word to most of us. But yet we're willing to take refuge in Dhamma. So I've heard people say, I believe in Dhamma, I take refuge in Dhamma. But what is, how do you take refuge in something you, you don't really know what it is? So you tend to define, want to define Dhamma as ultimate reality, absolute reality, what's uncreated, But absolute reality, what is that? You know, what is absolutely real? And to most people, out of ignorance, regard the world of the senses, the bodies they have, and the, what they see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, and feel, is their, what they regard as the real world, what's real. But Dhamma as ultimate reality, 
then it's divine, is apparent here and now. Ultimate reality is apparent here and now. So what, you know, and you try to figure that one out. Because to the average person, here and now you're in the temple at Amaravati, it's Tuesday afternoon and we have a time, quarter after three, and here and now is, is always seen as a place or thing. So this is a reflection, I'm not trying to teach you anything like believing, but what I'm encouraging is our ability to reflect on how things affect us here and now, because experience is always here and now. An experience of the past is a memory that can arise in the present. So what is it that that remembers something from the past? Is it a person? Because a person is, is usually defined as a man or woman, a physical body, a separate being. You're, there's different people sitting here in the sala. We're all separate from each other. And so what is apparent here and now in terms of the worldly experience through your senses is not going to be the same. <clears throat> How you define or experience this, this moment through words, through language. So being able to reflect on the way it is, is, is being the Bhutto or the Buddha, the witness, And then the Buddha's teaching, all conditions are impermanent, sape sankaranicca. So then you reflect on, does anybody believe they have a permanent body? You know, we're all aging. We have physical pain, We, we get sick, we get old. We die. Can that be our refuge, the human form that we identify with and give so much importance to? So it's like investigating the way it is. What is it that is aware of the body or of a memory that, a memory that arises in the present? Is it a person? We claim, well, I have a good memory or I don't have a good memory. So we use language to, when we forget, we get, we forget things, we get older, you have memory losses. Who is it that loses memory? And these are like questions to ask yourself, who is it? Who am I? So many of us, 
being brought up in the West have, have often searched for the meaning and purpose of life. Is there a meaning to life or a purpose to it? Is this this experience that we are experiencing right now of a human body sitting here and conscious awareness? And we, we caught up with trying to intellectualize, figure it out through reason and logic. But reflectiveness is not, doesn't depend on reason or logic, it's, it's direct kind of observing the way it is. That a memory that arises in the present, you can't, how long can you sustain a memory? And it can affect you emotionally. You can get angry or feel happy according to memories of the past. But the, the apparent here and now, the memory, can't be sustained for very long. It arises and ceases. It's like a soap bubble. It has no essence, no no substance to it other than like a ghost floating through consciousness. Memories of the past. And is there, what is the purpose of life? What is it, does it have any meaning? Because these words, purpose and meaning, can be very significant. We want to find out who we are, what, what is our real self, and what is the purpose of this being born in a human body on planet Earth? Is there a meaning to it? So from my cultural background, I was told the purpose of life is to find Jesus, become a disciple of Jesus, and that's the whole purpose of life. And that was what I was told when I was a child. Well, that seemed all right. It's, uh, Jesus was always presented uh, as a saintly, as, as kind of a, like God in human form, or in, what is Jesus right now? Is just a memory of somebody who has been historically referenced to in a, in a religion called Christianity. What is Buddha, Gautama Buddha, Sakyamuni Buddha? When we take refuge in Buddha, are we taking refuge in a memory of a, a wise, enlightened sage of the past who we never met? What was the meaning of Buddha's teaching when he taught the Four Noble Truths? And what's the purpose of it? Why did he choose to use suffering as a noble truth? And it's significant that this is, as I've said many times, it's significant, the first sermon 
the Buddha gave was about suffering and the causes of suffering and the end of suffering. So in investigation, sati, sampachanya, samavichayo, these words are like to investigate, be mindful of the way it is. And then the suggestion, all conditions are impermanent. So that includes everything that we identify with with the bodies we have, with what we see, think, feel, our emotional habits, our past, our nationality, our gender. These are what we identify with. But they're all impermanent conditions that have no real substance, no real core, no no real soul or heart or they can't be sustained because they're all impermanent. Sapeh So this word anicca, a Pali word for the change and impermanence, is what we use to reflect on things as we experience life. We, we begin to Notice how everything changes for us. The, like this time of the year, here at Amavati, the, the season's changing, very obvious. So it's called autumn. And it'll be winter in the future, that's in the future. So this is, these are how we think and believe what our reality is about summer, spring, summer, autumn, and winter, about weather, about our feelings, whether we're happy or depressed or sad, whether we're successful or failures, however we see ourselves, whatever you think you are and believe you are is impermanent and not self. Sapetama anatta. Ultimate reality, there's no separate self. So is our consciousness separate? You know, is consciousness, vinyana consciousness, is it separate? Through the senses it is, because Dhamma has to manifest in forms to be able to see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, and feel. Because Dhamma, absolute reality, has, doesn't have language, it's not impermanent, it's apparent here and now, and what you really, you begin to realize your true nature is Dhamma ultimate, absolute reality here and now. And that's not personal. So this sense of identifying with these separate forms is to be challenged. Am I really separate from you, you know, in terms of convention or the real world 
or the tradition, I'm here and you're there. So as long as my reality is identifying with the form, sitting here talking, then that, if I, if, if I never investigate that, never contemplate or reflect on it, then I do feel I suffer from worry about what others, what others think, about getting old, about uh, duties, responsibilities, about successes or failures, about love and hate, about in the whole world, dhammas arise, and through ignorance, then grasping those worldly dhammas is the cause of suffering. So the, in bhavana, or right meditation, and this is letting go of these attachments, seeing that, that we're not anything that we believe or think or feel, we're not the old body, we're not male or female, we're not Thai or British, we're not on the right or the left of anything. Because Dhamma is, is perfect. So what I'm saying is your true nature is whole and perfect. Where what you identify with is changing, so it's imperfect. It can have moments of good health and youth and beauty and success. But you can't sustain those. And the more we're successful on worldly terms, then we also have to fear of being failures or losing, being losers, losing out on things. So even worldly success is very inadequate. It's not a goal to to aim to be successful in the world, even though it's, you know, it's that it can be wholesome, wanting to be enlightened, wanting to be free from suffering, wanting to become an arahant. Wanting to become something you imagine is the very best. But it's just words, isn't it? The word arahant is a word, another word, a Pali word. And so it creates this desire to become an arahant or become enlightened. So in my early phases of monastic life, because I really wanted to become enlightened. And so, uh, you know, when I was taught meditation techniques, concentration techniques, and I was, you know, informed that you have to get samadhi in order to become enlightened, you have to get jhanas in order to become enlightened, you've got to get something 
to become enlightened. And so then this this whole idea of, of uh, you know, I felt I'm unenlightened. I'm an unenlightened person. And what is that? That's words, isn't it? And that come from how, how we identify ourselves individually. And I'm going to practice these meditation techniques in order to become enlightened as a person. That I could become an arahant as a person or become a Buddha as a person. Ajahn Sumedho becomes a Buddha. What is that? That's just a series of words based on the idea of a name and a form, a personality. So reflecting on this, that all those words are empty phenomena. So Buddha, the word Buddha is an empty phenomenon. Dhamma is an empty phenomenon. It has no essence. It's just an empty word. But what isn't empty is conscious awareness. And in the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha taught many times that the, the, about anatta, not-self. And then investigating uh, the desire, wanting to become enlightened, was very much my ego. How I was conditioned by my idealism, by my love for Buddhism, for trusting in what teachers say, what the Buddha said in the scriptures. So, and it was all inspiring. Like I found so many of the suttas very inspiring. I found the Four Noble Truths, my main guide through my monastic life. And so investigating this desire to become something I'm not, because I, I, I'm not, I don't tend to feel that I'm special or that I have to, I'm somebody that can get enlightened. I feel it's far away, it's distant. To become an arahant is something distant. And I want to try to live my life so that I can hopefully reach that stage before I die. Because I think I don't want to be reborn again. Or maybe I do. Maybe I want to become a bodhisattva. Be reborn as a saint. As a devada. As Brahma. as a Buddha, and all these may be very fine ideals, but what are they in experience right now? They're words that are ultimately, when you investigate words, they come and go very quickly. You know, like just the pronoun in English, I, just one letter, and you think I, and it's gone. But we're used to, we're, we don't notice that. We tend to 
believe in, in our ability to speak, communication, is, is uh, what we identify with. I'm, I'm not an arahant. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't know if I can become enlightened before I die, are all words, thoughts, that come and go. And then wanting to become enlightened is word. They're, they're words that I grasp and believe in. So I practice as a person, as Ajahn Sumedho, to become enlightened. And then I'm never sure whether I'm enlightened or not. If I just, as Ajahn Sumedho tries to practice Samadhi practices is very, it keeps the Vinaya perfectly. It's perfect in conduct and always has right speech and right action, even with all the best. If you haven't investigated Dhamma, then you, you, you might be a very good person, a very good monk or nun. But then you wonder why you, you're not enlightened. Because the Dhamma is anatta. And in terms of experience here and now, Dhamma is here and now, apparent here and now. And what is apparent here and now that, that is not personal is consciousness. If I spent the afternoon asking you individually if you're conscious, every single one of you is going to say, yes, you know you're conscious. So that's apparent here and now. And that's what we take refuge in, Dhamma. So it's here and now rather than practicing in well, good for the future to become an enlightened person. Because as a person, person can never be enlightened. Personalities are conditioned phenomena. They're impermanent, changeable, unsatisfying. I remember in Thailand, we used to like to figure out who's enlightened, who's an arahant, and who isn't. And uh, there's a lot of hearsay and gossip about who's an enlightened ajahn and who isn't, and, and that kind of interest in trying to figure out who, which monk. Was Ajahn Chah enlightened? And uh, Lumpa Cha would never say he was enlightened. Because Lumpa Cha, as a person, as a name, all those, the person, the body, the name, the, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, memories were all impermanent. So what is left of Ajahn Cha? is it's all anicca and anatta. 
So these terms like stream entry, Sotapanna, Sakata, Kami Arahant, are just words, not meant to be grasped and identified with or to seek to become, but they're references to experience, to remind yourself, to investigate the here and now, the apparent, what is apparent here and now. And so consciousness is here and now. What's the relation of consciousness to Dhamma? And you can't define, you can't separate the two. Consciousness is deathless reality here and now. Dhamma is absolute reality here and now. So is there any purpose or meaning to our lives? Are we, are we here to become enlightened as people? To set up the perfect society on planet Earth? That we can, if everybody becomes an arahant on the planet Earth, uh, then we'll all be happy forevermore. Might be a fantasy, a beautiful fantasy. But as you reflect, you begin to see that it's impossible to expect phenomena to be perfect, permanently perfect, because the very nature of all phenomena is imperfection, it's change, it's unsatisfactory, it's suffering when we grasp it. So then when I say there's no purpose or meaning to life, how does that affect you? Because suddenly, you know, that can be quite, you know, well, we might as well just not care one bit, you know, just get on with life, you know, there's, it doesn't mean anything, there's no purpose to it. But that is just words too. So meaning and purpose are important words, not denying their importance, but in terms of experience here and now, they're empty phenomena. And when you begin to to realize this for yourself, you let go of trying to become something that you believe is very distant, like becoming enlightened can seem to one's personality uh, very distant, you know. You hear monks who've been practicing for years say, you know, they, they haven't become enlightened after all their efforts. And uh, so that people have, you know, have these kind of hopes of getting enlightened through not investigating Bhavadanha, desire to become something or the way it is here and now, that whatever you're thinking here and now, whatever you're feeling, what emotion, and there's no purpose and no meaning to anything, you're aware of how that affects, those words affect, might affect you individually. Some might find that inspiring, some might find that depressing.
Then people ask, what happens when you die? Because it's the phenomena that dies. The body dies, the senses die. Sensory consciousness dies. Because sensory consciousness depends on forms, on eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, brain. All these are subject to decay, to change. So sensory consciousness is impermanent. But ultimate reality, vinyana, vinyanang, anidasanang, anandang, sapadopabang in the suttas, consciousness that doesn't die, that is apparent here and now. So uh, this is, uh, talking like this, speaking like this, is to encourage this, to investigate your experiences is, is uh, can you retain anything very a condition that is permanently happy permanently beautiful permanently safe permanently stable and then we've got news of the day about climate change which is you know the climate the planet is changing and we Anyway, that's something to worry about. Then you hear about meteors and outward space. They can crash into the earth. When you look at the, at the universe through your sensory ability to see, it looks so vast, so mysterious, and all those stars and galaxies and meteorites and, and, so, and then the sun and moon you know, they seem distant and far away, like the sun is, is dependent on that. Without the sun, we're dead. These bodies can't live without the sun. So you can see why some people worship the sun, because it is like a god in the sky, distant. And if the sun went die, we don't die with it. All these conditioned forms. But is the sun, moon and stars, are they in consciousness? You know, so we ask ourselves, well, the sun and moon are so far away, and then the galaxies, there's so many galaxies beyond what human beings can actually see through even the most powerful telescopes. So what is consciousness without beginning or end, deathless? And you begin to realize that that consciousness is ultimate reality, is Dhamma. Not the sensory consciousness. That can go any time, but ultimate consciousness, ultimate reality, vinyanang, anidasanang, anantang, sapadopamang, wasn't born, doesn't die. So when somebody dies, 
What's left is a memory for all of us. So we remember our mother, our father, I remember my sister, George Sharp, remember them? And that's a memory. But what happens to them when, they're, when they die? Where is my sister who died last year and wanted to die to be with Jesus? You know, so you can imagine is she just, all her hopes and virtuous lifestyle ended up with nothing? Is my sister now in the company of Jesus? You know, one can believe that or disbelieve it. But you don't know what, what happens when, when the body dies because our awareness is always through the forms that we strongly cling to and identify with the, the, the bodies that we see as what I am as this, this physical form sitting here. But as you begin to take your refuge in Dhamma, in pure conscious awareness, mindfulness, sati, sampajanya, then that doesn't die. That has no beginning or end, no birth or death. So the aim of the Buddha for enlightenment is to take refuge in awareness because that's something we can do in these separate forms. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. So heedlessness, not being mindful, not using wisdom in your life, not reflecting on experience in terms of how it really is in the here and now. It's like this, you know, the way you feel right now, the, the mental state you're in or physical, feelings that you're experiencing at this moment is like this. But what is aware of the physical discomfort you might feel or the uh, mental, emotional state that you're experiencing now, is it, ch it changes, doesn't it? There's no stability in any of it, in worldly conditions. Security, stability, safety are ideas we have, we'd like, because we like to have that feeling that everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out. Tell me everything is okay, even if it isn't, because that makes me feel okay. And as a person, I like to feel okay. I remember years ago, traveling a lot and then coming back to England and 
Ajahn Birdama would meet me at Heathrow and and I just was hoping he'd say everything is okay. <laughs> because when I'm away from her I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and then in Sangha life there's always problems, crises, misunderstandings, because that's the nature of phenomena. It's right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. And as individual people, we're not going to agree or totally agree on every issue and make everything okay. Because we're not, we're, we're separate forms that have been conditioned separately through our birth, through our experience of life. So it's not going to be the same for each one of us individually. So there's always conflict in marriages, in relationships, in communities, in politics, in religion. There's always a right and left and high and low and and because that's the nature of phenomena. Right and left, high and low are phenomena that change. So this is, this reflection, you know, it, I tell you that your true nature is perfect, it's a Dhamma, and you, and it's apparent here and now. And when you try to find it, you're trying as a person to find Dhamma, which is what you are. It's like trying to look for yourself or a fish in water looking for water. You know, what is apparent here now? For a fish it's water. But I want to find it. So in learning to, to really take refuge, take your stand in awareness, because that is the gate to that realization of enlightenment where you give up, you let go of your identities, you don't get rid of them. Lung Po Cha still had a personality. Enlightened masters still have different personalities. They're not just the common, look like Buddha Rupas, perfect in form, they have to get old, get sick and die just like in the history of the Lord Buddha himself. He got old and sick and passed away, just like all of us will. Where ideas, we can make perfect ideas of a, of a you know, we project onto individuals, that monks and arahant, And that's a projection. We, we, we assume that somebody that we respect and trust and take refuge in as our teacher is an arahant. Or then maybe you think we're not fully an arahant, maybe he's only an anagami. Or maybe not even an anagami, maybe he's only a sakadakami. Or sometimes I think he's just a sodapana. So this is 
playing with words, isn't it? How we personally use these words and and uh, define these these words that are in the scriptures. But then again, to reiterate that words are empty phenomena. So when you when I ask you if you're enlightened, you say, "No, I'm not enlightened. I'm working on it." That's words. You believe you're not enlightened because your body, your emotions, your thoughts will never become enlightened. They can be improved on. It can be better speech, better action, and all that in life to improve ourselves so that we're better than we were before. But to be enlightened is apparent here and now. To say you're enlightened is also words. And these words are all phenomenal, empty conditions. And the more you reflect on this, it's an interesting way to meditate, to begin to really take the Buddhist teachings very seriously, like all conditions are impermanent. And I remember as a Samanera, before, before I met Lung Hwa Cha, I used to, I made a koan, a kind of conundrum. If everything is impermanent, there is something impermanent. Is, is there something permanent? And through investigating the second noble truth, I became aware that that consciousness, not through the senses, but through intuitive awareness, through mindfulness, is always here and now. No matter what you're feeling or what state you're in. And I think that it's important that you get this kind of affirmation to to because it's so easy to believe what your mind uh, creates in your consciousness in your brain. So easy to believe your emotions that they're really you know they're our worldly reality to believe in the world that we're experiencing through the senses. And we're so conditioned by that, by the world, that the world for us is our reality. But the world is unreal and it's changing. And the more you reflect on the impermanence, this is like the, the season right now here at Amavati, just that way the leaves fall from the trees, the impermanent nature of climate. As we experience it through our, through seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, that we're in a world that is very unstable, very impermanent, 
but it's not our refuge. And the gate to the deathless is conscious awareness, sati samajanya, apparent here and now. So I offer this as a reflection.